Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the on January the 22nd of 2020. Uh, I, for some reason, had difficulty reciting that line, which I say every single week. Hi, I'm Nick. This is Chris. Boom. That's me. Boom. I don't know why we're recording today, Nick. It feels like why? Today, today should be a national holiday. Just because you don't want to do anything? No, because Eli Manning has officially retired. Aww. And that, well, he, I, I should correct that. He has announced uh, he will be retiring on Friday. The announcement that he's retiring is happening now. So it's not official, but it's official at this point. He has announced his intent to enter the procedure, which at the end of which will allow him to go through the process that will ensure that he is retired unless he decides he's not retired at a later point. Because mm-hmm. that's. It's retiring it's, from the NFL is weird. Anyway. Yeah, it's very strange. It's it's the teaser for the the featurette for the trailer for the movie that had come out in seven months. Uh, so I'm being bombarded by the the Giants Twitter account and all the Giants uh, NFL players I follow on Twitter about their favorite Eli memories. And it's it's Nick. I'm holding it together now. But I swear to God, if someone as links, as it's if, Friday. <laughs> if someone links me that video of Tom Coughlin be like, "It's not your fault, Eli. You think it's your fault? He's everything you want in the sun." It's just be like, "No, not like this. Keep it together." Ian the Eli shows all the emotion he's ever shown in his entire life. Everything in that moment, <laughs> it's like me, <laughs> it's like me stabbing my own leg. Like, no, I have to feel something besides sadness right now. Uh, poor Eli couldn't get that third Super Bowl. He's 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 never gonna. He, that was the one thing he had over his brother. <laughs> just, wow. And Payne had to just go and join the best de- a team with the best defense ever for that one year. We're in the wrong timeline, Nick. The legacy of three line never came true. <laughs> I th- I thought Dorfaniel would be the the, the key to the three line, but unfortunately not. Even if he had just like wanted it as like a backup after I don't know Daniel Jones exploded yeah. in ability or something like that, ah, he's got a third ring. It counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they bring him in for one play during the Super Bowl against the Patriots, right, go, where, he throw, where he throws some absurd, crazy catch to some <laughs> side receiver of the Giants, and then yeah, it's it's like it's, the it's, the Giants seventh receiver like manages to catch it between his knees and like hop into the end zone while holding it that way. <laughs> they're, they're like Armani Toomer, who's been retired for I think <laughs> ten years now, has come. And that's not on, even his name. <laughs> he's come back out onto the field, and uh, he's. I guess a legal receiver for this play. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Hang on. Uh, yes. Yes, I see. Yes. He is signing the contract for the one play uh, right now on the sidelines. And now he is declared ineligible. And, and the refs are waving it off. It's good. It counts. <laughs> Sonoris Moss has returned to the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Ramsey's Barton returning to the Giants after a. Uh, a very short NFL career. He's going long and he bursts through the Patriots quarterback, <laughs> literally straight through his chest to catch the touchdown. My God. Uh, and I see, uh, yes, he has uh, been allowed to do his celebra- touchdown celebration. And uh, now he is being arrested for second degree murder. Uh, <laughs> but the refs say the touchdown still stands. And the uh, Patriots the F- are disqualified. They don't have enough cornerbacks to continue fielding this game. <laughs> But you know what? Fuck him. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we're done talking we about it's You <laughs> referencing obscure former NFL players sounds like 
you're reciting chants from like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> There's there was one thread. So normally I generally use Reddit for one thing that should be kept private. But there was one saved link I had that was just a, a thread of various people making jokes about like shitty giants receivers throughout time, especially their draft picks. So it was just like Sonoris Moss wants to know your location. Ramsey's Barton has entered the chat. A wild Jernal Jernigan has appeared. You're just like, oh God, <laughs> we have so many terrible receivers. It was like seven years of just garbage. Uh, you know, let me see. Uh, Riddell Anthony. That's that's a good uh, obscure books uh, receiver for me to cite. There you go. go. Uh, He's only our number three receiver. So. <laughs> okay, we have got to talk about a lot of manga today, so we should just get to it. Uh, there are going to be a lot of chapters this week because there are what sixteen individual chapters we got to talk about. So. There are going to be quite a few of these that I'm going to try and keep really short. Uh, there are a fair number of pretty simple chapters, and those are going to fly by. So let's just get to it. We could, recaps, recap portion begins with My Hero Academia, number 257. Pass it forward to whomever. So it's not an especially eventful chapter. It's a lot more, look at how far we've come. And... Honestly, it bothers me because I like the actual content of the chapter, but the context and knowing where it takes place really feels like we skipped a lot in order to get to this point that we could have spent a lot of the last calendar year actually building up. There are some character things that are interesting, but really had not been established previously that really could have been a lot more effective when they come up in this chapter. Uh, so... We start off where we had uh, ended the previous chapter with All Might passing on the information that he had uh, acquired about the past successors of One for All, uh, giving them to uh, Midoriya. And Bakugo is there, too. They bring up that the Black Whip Quirk comes from Lariat, a pretty not well-known uh, hero uh, who was not especially strong, but he had skill in you know lassoing uh, people with the Black Whip. And Bakugo makes like, a comment. Uh, he's, he's like Slipknot, Nick. He climb anything. <laughs> I think that these bombs that are next are a joke. Okay. <laughs> it's like the two lines of characterization for Slipknot. Uh, what a badly executed movie. All right. So Deku kind of speaks up in support of the heroes that he's learning about. Bakugo is like, these are like nobodies. I have never heard of any of them. And they're probably really weak. And uh, All Might makes the point of, look, you know, all of these heroes came up in the day where, you know, All for One was the most powerful person on Earth, where he was in control of basically everything. You know, he would crush anyone that showed, that rose up against him. So there were these heroes that had uh, One for All, and basically the best that they could do was just fight while they had it and then make sure that they passed it on to someone else. He makes the note that they weren't really chosen ones. All they could do was receive the quirk and then entrust it to another, which is really cool and kind of makes me want to get a little bit more insight into like that age in this world where, you know, villains reigned and heroes were just kind of this resistance force. But anyway, it also is a um, really, like great way to characterize the the one for all 
succession line. Mm-hmm. That, like they weren't it, they weren't special people. They were the people who were there at the time who made the best of it and did everything they could to make mm-hmm. sure it passed on. There's a cool little uh, montage of them, you know, grasping the hand of the person that they're passing it on to. Very similar to the visual we got when All Might, um, you know, unleashed the last flames of uh, One for All in his fight against All for One. So Bakugo is like, well, which power is this asshole going to get next? And All Might, for some reason, just says that he's going to get uh, Float, his master's quirk. And I'm like, oh, how do you know he's going to get that one next? You have no idea how this works. Stop pretending you do. <laughs> He's like, well, um, so, uh, I read ahead in the manga, like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> I just looked, look, I just read down, you know, the unlock cha- path that you're on in uh, your development tree. And uh, so, yeah, once you've, now that you've got three ranks in Black Whip, now you can take a rank in Float. <laughs> yeah. It's it's sort of gated though. You can't like after this, you could branch off and go any direction. But these they kind of gate you that way. They want you to have the base abilities at the start. These are the fundamentals. <laughs> Next level, you could pick fire, breath, or atomic farts. <laughs> like wait, those are great. So Deku is like, oh, all right, you know, Nana Shimura, I'm gonna get that power. And Baku has a pretty silly reaction of like, ha, I can already fly by exploding you know, something underneath myself. You, you're catching up to me. And I love the way that he says it, which is, that means I'm ahead of you, QED. Like he's just made a logical argument <laughs> as opposed to, fuck you, I can, sp- oh, I can already fly. <laughs> and they yeah, have like, a, I mean, I guess he's right. <laughs> they have a pretty ridiculous argument. Um, and... It's and all might, you know, kind of like quietly just watching the two getting along in a really weird way, which is kind of sweet to see that this is where Deku and Bakugo are now, where Bakugo is, you know, kind of settled into his Vegeta and uh, role where he's expressing all of this aggression towards his rival, but he's not going to like fight him for no reason. So, yeah. uh, then we get a celebration, uh, at the 1A dorms, everyone's bringing food together. It feels like you guys had Christmas very not too long ago. And I know that, like, yeah, you do that for, like, the end of year two. But it's a little weird that, like, hey, we had a celebration where everyone's gathered here. We're having a celebration where everyone's gathered here. It's, like, it's a little weird. <laughs> uh, but uh, Deku kind of reflects. So everyone reflects on the fact that their time as first years at UA is coming to a close. They're going to be second years, basically, the next time we see them. Uh, and uh, Deku's like, wow, I, you know, I actually came this far. I, I, I never thought that I would you know, have All Might as my master or that Kachan and I would actually be able to kind of get along. And I love that he's having all this uh, thoughts. And then Tokoyami is sitting next to him and he's like, hey, Midori, can you pass me the, the, the sauce? And Deku is like, Ah, I'm so blessed. <laughs> Tokoyami's just like, can, the sauce, give me my the man. sauce, <laughs> my boy. It is my favorite. Moment. It is my favorite moment in this chapter. The deck is having this existential moment, and Tokoyami's like, can you give me the food that I just still waited on that ponzu sauce, Deku. I'm really glad you feel blessed. You know what make me feel blessed? Some motherfucking ponzu sauce right now. It is the most real moment 
So that's relatable. It's like no one's someone's just not paying attention to you. It's like I I, I asked, give me that. <laughs> God damn it, give me the goddamn sauce. <laughs> um Yeah, Takayami probably just wants it so that he can, you know, I don't know, coat hit one of his swords with it or something like that. The fucking dork. Anyway. Uh, we cut to outside where All Might is kind of sitting by himself. He's approached by Aizawa, and uh, who makes the comment uh, after All Might asks about Eri that he plans on training her starting this week. So, hmm, getting a little bit of uh, hopefully utilizing her ability for good. Uh, All Might says to Aizawa after he's you know quieted and thought for a moment that he has decided to keep on living. Uh, and he says that he keeps on feeling as though he's got this powerless feeling inside of him, especially watching the students grow and learn. And he feels frustrated. He can't do anything more for them. Uh, but Aizawa says, well, look, you you were keeping everything, you know, straight and good for decades. So now you're a normal person. Of course, you're going to feel shocked by that. But there's still plenty you can do for them. You can be here. And for a lot of people, that's all that they really need. So just be the same guy that you've always been. And that'll be a help. And All Might thinks about Sir Nidai on his deathbed. Uh, and he's like, yeah, thank you. And uh, then they get down to business. And Aizawa says that he has a message from Sukauchi saying he wants you to delay seeing Stain. Interesting. I do really like this little moment with All Might's, you know, having that reality of like I used to be Superman and now I'm just a guy uh, and we did get little hints of that very recently like there was the part where he showed up to teach Aizawa's class and he had like the cotton candy machine and everyone was like what the fuck are you doing all my like you're being weird you know it, it, they tr everyone kind of sees him a little differently now and I feel like we could have had that you know middle of crisis kind of uh, as a stronger point to this point, but it hasn't really come up. And I feel as though this would be a stronger moment if you had actually gotten the impression of, oh, All Might's feeling depressed and down, and but he hasn't really been around enough to really get that impression since a long time ago. So Yeah, so we're getting a little bit of a, a, a bad connection every uh, now and then. It's so just a heads up for anybody who's listening. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, we saw it a, a couple weeks ago too where he kind of had that moment of like acceptance as he watched Deku kind of going on without him. And he, he kind of had that moment of acceptance. Like, okay, right. he's he doesn't need to be anymore. But it, it's nice to still have this moment of him being like, I can still do things for everybody. I, I, I can still help the kids. I'm not worthless anymore. So it's nice seeing that kind of validation for him. And it's a nice little character between him and Aizawa as well. Uh, and then... The chapter basically ends on the note of time skip. Uh, we get this, you know, little collage of like the trees blooming as we go from winter into spring. And uh, oddly enough, we see uh, the doctor, Dr. Ujiko, just showing up at a hospital. Hmm. Uh, and there is a note from narration that at the end of March, heroes vanished from the city. So. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, this seems to be another small clue to the idea that the doctor might have been the person to first tell Deku he didn't have a quirk. 
Mm -hmm. because now we're actually seeing that he does have an actual doctoring job somewhere. (laughs) So it's kind of unique. They there also was that clue about like the hospital as well. So this seems to be something else to kind of key into it. Uh, The text is ominous, but at the same time, I still haven't completely like learned to trust my hero again with its ominous text. Heroes vanished from the city because they had to go and take care of something outside of the city, and then they came back. <laughs> they vanished. All go on lunch or something like. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I like in my mind, I'm like, this seems like a very ominous setup. It's a kind of cool setup, but I my heroes burned me before on that kind of like, and then something crazy happened. Narration rarely falls out that way, so. I've seen like people have, you know, it's a relatively popular theory that because of the Ujigo connection to uh, Deku that and the fact that, you know, his dad's never around and stuff that, oh, what if, you know, his father is, is, is all for one or something like that. Or but having seen Rise of the Skywalker, I'm just like, can you not? Like, <laughs> can we not that? make every hero in a story have to be the son of the most legendary figure of that world or one of its most central figures? Like when I first heard it, you know, I was like, I don't really think that'll be it. But, you know, I guess we'll see. But now that I've seen that movie in particular, I'm just like, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> now, Chris, for the first time. As part of the recap, we're going to talk I about love, Actage. I love first. Like, what kind of first is it? It's the first time we're talking about Actage, that oh. series I love so much. Oh, never mind, Nick. Hold on. Like, I wish I, wish I had it on it. Just throw my sleeping mask on. Like, <laughs> all right, you, you go have You're, at it. <laughs> scene 97, Reach. Uh, we are at the point in the play of Princess Iron Fan where uh, Kay needs to... Forgive everyone and uh, quell the flames of the mountains, but she, her real life rage is uh, kind of making that difficult for her because she's actually got to, you know, forgive that bitch who told her that she slept with her dad. <laughs> and um, so everyone's kind of like, you know, talking about, you know, this moment. Uh, Freaking Arisa, I think is her name. The uh, producer is talking about it. Uh, and uh, they bring up the point of like, oh, you know, this is really dangerous. And, you know, who knows if she's going to be able to carry on this performance tomorrow and beyond. And um, the one agent whose name I forget is like, well, the streaming of tonight is you being used for the popularity vote. So they don't really care if they do poorly after this point. This is what really counts in terms of the popularity voting. Um, Kurosawa is thinking like this is like doping. I guess it is, you know, it's a, you amping up your emotions, but then you can have a crash. So, uh, we get the moment where, uh, Wukong asks Princess Iron Fan to quell the flames of the mountain. And everyone's like, all right, we've got, to, we've got to, you know, reach K we've got to, you know, snap her out, out of this intense rage that she's in. Cause she's not even, she's not even looking at the actor. She's just looking at their director with hatred in her eyes. Uh, Takemitsu manages to catch her attention a little bit by stamping his foot while in character acting like he still wants to fight. Uh, 
And uh, we get to this moment where they're just like, oh, you know, come on, act, act with us right here. And Kay snaps to reality. She, you know, sees all of her fellow actors on stage. She sees the audience beyond them. And she realizes, oh, right. This this isn't just all about me. This stage isn't just mine. They're waiting for me to quell the flames for me to forgive her. Everyone's trying to reach me. So she steps past them, lifts up the fan and says, very well. And she's agreed to quell the flames. But pretty much everyone watching this who has any knowledge of acting is watching her. And then they're like, she's lost it. She's not acting. She's just reciting from the script like a robot. She's like a puppet now. And uh, Chiyoko is really pissed off about this because she's like, no, no, I want to beat you at your best. Otherwise, there's no point. But Kay just thinks to herself, even if I can't act the part, even if it's a lie, even if I don't feel it, and she lowers her eyes and lifts up the fan and everything kind of fades to white around her. So personally, I kind of hope that she doesn't have some big thing where she just, you know, pulls it all together in a big moment of triumph because it would be nice if Kay had you know, consequences to falling to this point wouldn't be her fucking fault. It would be her director's fault for pushing her like this, but it would show, you know, like, Hey, you know, she has, you know, more room to to grow as opposed to just like, Oh, she's so great all the time. Um, and also she would have still put on a really good performance up to this point. It would just been a matter of like, she couldn't capture that last moment that was required of her because she was able to embody the rage, but she wasn't able to embody the forgiveness. So, I'm, pro- I'm pretty sure that's not the direction we're going to go in. This is probably going to be the way that act is usually goes in terms of, oh, a big moment of tension in one chapter and then a moment of resolution in the next one. Yay, we did it. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I do like the moment of Chiyoko, though, screaming at the TV like, no, God damn it. No, like it's not worth anything if you're not at your best. It's my favorite moment in this chapter because, you know, her reaction means the most. Everyone is just like analyzing very calmly like, oh, she has lost her acting. And she goes like, no, fuck you. I'm going to beat you. <laughs> no, this entire fucking thing is about beating her the best. This means nothing if she's not. I don't care. We're supposed to go on a, a, a good put on a good play. No, fuck that. <laughs> Eat shit and die. <laughs> wow. Never should have let you take that mask off. You're a real asshole. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fucking cunt. Get over it. You took the mask off. Now smell what dookie I've left behind. Wow. They're like, huh, all right. So you're really going hard in this, like, my career's over kind of deal right now. <laughs> I'll call your goddamn eyes out. Joko Momoshiro turns out to be a <laughs> real ass. Everyone still thinks she's really cute and pretty, though. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All Eden right. Zero. We've got two chapters to talk about, Chris. Yeah. So let's talk Eden Zero, chapter 770. Chapter 77, The Winds That Bind. So last time, uh, Rebecca was fighting Self, and Self captured her in a wind ball. And wind had stopped. Yeah. Uh, said, like, your wind has stopped. Uh, Rebecca tries to get out, but she can't. Uh, she tries to use her guns, but the bullets just ricochet around. She tries to use her, her leaper ability, and it can't work. It won't move at all. And uh, she left behind the medicine that she had to bring. She's even cut off from everybody. But basically, Hermit's able to kind of get a connection across. It's like, hey, uh, Rebecca's in trouble. Something happened to her. She was at this gate. Here are the coordinates. 
and there was medicine for wise. It's actually a really awkward kind of moment because Shiki hears her distorted message and you can tell that that's what she's trying to say. And then Hermit just says, just says, Hey, this is all that she was trying to say. <laughs> it kind of sucks all the tension out of the moment. And they're like, will they be able to find her? Well, yeah, Hermit just told them where to find her and all the information she tried to tell Shiki. So, yeah, yes. essentially everything that needed to be gathered was uh, expressed. Uh, we cut over to sisters talking to Jiggle Girl. I can't remember her name. It doesn't matter. Uh, I don't really even know why this conversation happens except to give a little bit more context to Draken Joe. Just to be like, oh, well, he doesn't steal anything that's that he doesn't need. He doesn't actually, he's not even really greedy. He just takes anything that's valuable with a reason to it. So maybe there's something about your ship that you don't realize. Uh, and then word of, word of advice. Don't, don't Google jiggle girls guys with say search off. <laughs> uh, but the big reveal of all of this is saying like, Oh, well they found out that there was something important on the ship after Drak and Joe talked to Noah, the guild leader of the shooting starlight adventurers guild. So we won't, we won't have the uh, the repeat of a friendly guildmaster everyone loves. He's apparently a huge shithead. Um, no, no. What what we'll find out is that the real guildmaster is. <laughs> oh god, dude! He's probably the, uh, the the fourth member of this stupid uh, elemental four. <laughs> um. So, Shiki and everybody show up uh, to where Rebecca disappeared. Uh, Sylph's there saying, I won't let you escape. So Shiki uses gravity, and uh, I guess gravity is away the wind. I don't, I'm not a science major, so I don't know if this makes any sense whatsoever. It My- sort of does, <laughs> but it's a little bit difficult to kind of, I mean, yes, gravity will affect wind. Okay. It's, but it, it it's a really weird thing to be like, oh, yeah, you know, when is countered by gravity? It's a very odd thing to have to kind of reconcile in your brain. So, yeah. uh, before anything could happen, though, who should show up to help Sylph? But Jin, Nick, aren't you excited? Jin's back after I don't know thirty chapters, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm more I'm more excited to see him than Sylph? anyone else who's shown up yeah. in this arc. It's a, it's a guy with a pre-established character, at least. It so. just interests me because it feels like it's been a really long time since we've seen Jin, but it hasn't at all. It's it just, hasn't at all. It's just been fucking eating zero moves at a breakneck pace. So you're like, God, that's like four arcs ago. Holy shit, that was only like two months ago, though. So it was a little longer than that. It was a little longer. But uh, Sylph, uh, rather, Jin says, stand back. Clean? Clen A? I don't know how to pronounce it. I believe it's clean. clean. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just going to call her Sylph. Uh, and she says, my code name is Silph, brother. Bum, bum, bum. Siblings. Okay, cut away, though. Rebecca wakes up in a very fancy room, and she's like, where am I? I'm not in this prison cell. What's happening? And someone says, ah, I see you're awake. And who should it be but Dracon Joe in a bathtub with a little rubber ducky <laughs> covering his cock? I was so concerned when, at the end of this chapter, that I actually made it out of, Please don't have him force Rebecca to get into the bath with him naked. And he doesn't. It goes a much better direction. (laughs) I I, I will actually give props because this was immediately a scene where I was like, okay, here's where Hero reveals that Dracon Joe is a creepy pervert dude as well. And he's going to do a bunch of creepy perverted things for Rebecca, but they really don't. And it was nice to actually not have a villain who's also like a molesting uh, pedophile rapist monster, 
or something along those lines. Well, it just turns out that he gets his rocks off by getting naked in front of people instead. He's an exhibitionist, so it's still creepy. But... <laughs> Uh, hey, it's not the worst nudity we'll be talking about this week. Uh, so he's like, hey, I'm just here to talk. I don't, you know, he, he gives like a little bit of a threat. Rebecca reaches for happy. He's like, I, I wouldn't want to break something that looks so cute while it's sleeping. But, you know, I, I, I don't I'm not interested in killing you. I don't want to make you suffer at all. You know, I, I know who you are. Master Noah told me, you know, you're Rebecca the Beekeeper. She's like, oh, he sold us out. He's like, eh, you shouldn't trust guys like him. And he's, she says, hey, why, why are you after Eden Zero? And he's like, oh, there's something very precious on the ship. And it's, it's all in bold, so it's important. Uh, so she's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, oh, well, actually, you know what? Why don't you come with me? So I want to show you something. So we cut back to the fight between Jin's well, and Well, there was another moment. There was another moment that uh, before we cut away there that made me go, "Oh no!" Because he's like, "Your clothes were torn, so I got you some new ones." And I'm like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and then it turns out actually he's given her less revealing clothes than she normally wears. So I was like, "Ah, all right, yeah. good host tracking show." <laughs> he, he's like, "I I saw your clothes were a little damaged, so I prepared you this bikini made of uh, band aids <laughs> and a dishcloth." Like, all right. I just you kind know, of something I threw together. There's like scotch tape hanging off of it. <laughs> just twine and a, a, t- a tube of toothpaste that's almost run out. Listen, I I, I failed elementary school crafts, so <laughs> I I tried to make clothes. Turns out I'm not very good at it. So uh, enjoy wearing this burlap sack that I cut holes in. <laughs> I cut too many though, unfortunately. <laughs> so. There, we cut back to Sylf and Rebecca, or Sylf and uh, Jin, and that whole fight. Uh, Hamora's gone off. She's taken the medicine for Wise and ran. So Jin's like, all right, you go after her. And she flies off. And Cheeky tries to go after her, but Jin punches him to the ground and says, no, you're going to be dealing with me. And Pino's like, are you one of the Elemental Fortune? He's like, no, uh, there's already a wind person and we can't double up. It's a rule. <laughs> I have to have Earth-based powers if I want to be in the group at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, watch me use my air powers to make rocks move. Really, I'm an Earth guy now. I really want, like, uh, I might as well be. I mean, the fire guy just shot bullets. Yeah, like, I, I really want a moment where Chandra from Magic the Gathering shows up, and she's like, can I join your villain group? They're like, Mm, sorry, we already have somebody who does fire things. <laughs> We're gonna have to say no. She's like, really? Because I'm I'm crazy powerful. He's like, yeah, but we already have a fire guy. So <laughs> you're gonna have to wait in line, you know. When he dies, uh, we'll get to appoint a new fire-based character into this villain squad. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry to say, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been holding on to the fire member of the Elemental Four forever so I, I don't know i don't think you're taking it from her oh <laughs> uh so, so essentially he's like no i'm just a mercenary uh my job's just to act as her assistant she, he kind of dodges the question when they when she asks like oh does that mean you guys are family she called you brother he's like that's none of your concern shut up shut up yeah. <laughs> she wasn't supposed to say that uh but he's uh, shiki's trying to fight but Jin's too fast and he even, like, does this big, like, you know, dodge and zip, zip, zip. I've hit you, like, a thousand times. 
He explains that he's modified his body since last time. He's raised his power over three times what it was before. And he has overdrive. And we, we see all these, like, I guess, cybernetic parts of him kind of opening and expanding what looks like ether gear energy. Uh, and yep. we cut back to the ship. Rebecca has changed now. Uh, Drac and Joe takes her down a hallway, opens a door. And inside is the other B-Cuber, Labilia. And uh, she's in chains and she's blindfolded. And it looks like very clearly she's been tortured for a while. Uh, and Rebecca's like, "What do you? why is she here? What happened to her? What did you do to her? And he's like, oh, well, I punished her because she put you through a lot of pain, didn't she? You know, it's a gift for me. You know, on account of you joining my crew. She's like, what the will you go you? out with me? <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? He's like, I told you there was something very precious on the Eden Zero. And that something is you, Rebecca Blue Garden. Or should I say, number 29? Dun, 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 dun. I don't really get it, but okay. I'm sure we'll find out. I'm a little annoyed because I actually kind of liked a little bit of where this was going i kind of like that drac and joe didn't fall into the normal cliches of like uh, uh a hero antagonist but i don't know like i i'm kind of tired of the idea of like and the female character is someone really special which is something like this is this feels right now very close to ellie from rave master and mm. even even lucy kind of had it too where Lucy was right. the daughter of a very rich man, and nothing to the same extent, but going from like another series before, you're like, ah, I'm kind of right now in a place where I need to see where this goes because my mind's like, eh, are we just doing the same thing again? No, I get you. Um, I personally ever thought that this was a lot more interesting than the stuff that we had gotten in this arc up to this point. Um, you know, having a character that we actually are already familiar with show up to fight Cheeky instead of having it be your wind has stopped, girl, who's the most interesting thing about her is the fact that she displays no emotions on her face, but she has a little implant in her head that shows smiley faces when she's happy, etc. It's very odd. Um, but uh the stuff with Joe, I mean, I know that, yeah, there's the whole thing like, oh, you are special, Rebecca. Yeah, it's that, that kind of thing. But the way that he acts and the way that he talks is is the most interesting we've seen from a villain in Eden Zero up to this point. So, yeah, I'm still excited for where this arc is going. I'm just not excited about this particular reveal. I, no, I, I, I actually do kind of like that. What was special about Eden Zero wasn't the ship. Or the people, or like the robots and everything like that. It was one of the crew and one of the people we already kind of knew. So mm-hmm. I do like that. I'm just, I'm wonder, I'm hoping number twenty nine doesn't suggest, oh, Rebecca has been a lab produced person who has special powers in her or something like that. <laughs> well, no. See, that means that there are another at least eighteen members of the lower ranked numbers, and then there are ten who are the closest to Eisen and. <laughs> And then after that, there's the arcane stage. That goes one step beyond. Oh, my God. But once you get through. Oh, we just got power levels in Samurai A2. (laughs) And then you go one step beyond that. You realize that's that was just the fake 29. Now you have to deal with the real number 29 ranks. The Eurasian Bainties. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
Let's move on to Boruto, number 42. Regeneration! Uh, big fight with Boro in this uh, chapter. Uh, he is still pushing the team because he's just so strong and his regeneration is so strong that no matter what they do, he just immediately regenerates from it. That's what's going on throughout this chapter. Uh, at the same time, he's landing hits on uh, the boys. Uh, there's a really weird moment to start where he releases what looks like a bunch of the virus and they're like, we're immune to that though. It's fine. And then he blows it up. It's like, Oh, there was gunpowder laced in there too. Like, you fucking idiots. <laughs> well, I do like to the way he does it too, where he throws a bunch of shurikens and, uh, oh God, what's his fucking name? Haircut. Kawagi. Kawagi. Uh, Kawaki. uh, like tries to block it. And doing so, a shuriken brushes against it, creates a spark, which explodes all the gunpowder. It's like, it's a pretty clever move where he's just like, uh, shurikens, and they're like, these things never work. And it's like, the one time a shuriken was really effective in an attack. Uh, it would have been better if I had just let the shuriken hit me, and it would have been nothing. <laughs> so, finally, someone's weaponizing shurikens, not actually hitting anybody. <laughs> Uh, Mitsuki and Boruto try to rush in. There's a cool bit where, like, literally Boruto just lets a Rasengan hit his arm and explode it because he just believes that Boruto can follow up the attack. That's how fast the regeneration is. Um, Serana tries attacking from a distance, but he, she can't really do so because he uses this lava jizu to melt her, her shuriken, and her shuriken don't set anything off to explode him, so nothing works. Uh, Mitsuki and, Bo and Boruto manage to keep Boruto occupied until Kawaki can come in and he uses his car to just blast a hole and like freeze him basically so that the entire his entire lower half is gone and he regenerates that and he looks really weird when he's now that he's naked because it incinerated his cloak. So no Kawaki realizes, yeah, he doesn't. So I like how or I like anus. How he has he has nothing. No. He needed uh, he needed more. I don't know. Do you think that the vents on his body are how he shits? I was really you're... hoping there'd be one vent over his butthole. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, that's the poop vent. No poison <laughs> comes out of there, but you still shouldn't go near it. <laughs> it's the most lethal, lethal gas of all. <laughs> he's like a jokester now. He's like, after Taco Bell, that's the one vent you really want to avoid. Ha -cha 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 -cha. I'm going to kill you kids. <laughs> that's his punchline to everything. <laughs> I'm going to murder these children now. That's, that's, that's his waka waka. I'm going to go kill shit kids now. <laughs> He's like, uh-oh, I've had a couple more beans. Guess I won't need to store up on gas. Ha -cha 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 -cha. I'm going to rip out your children's throats and sing. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. If you have a boat that has spent more time on your front yard than out in the ocean, I'm going to kill your kids. <laughs> That's a serious sign. <laughs> that was a little bit. I think that was a Jeff Foxworthy joke. I don't know. I've literally seen it once in my uh, Jeff Foxworthy I, routine I, once. I, I used to really enjoy the blue collar comedy guys except for Bill Angle. And I like that they all had their own trademarks except for Ron White. So it's like, you might be a redneck. Uh, get her done. Here's your sign. And it was Ron White like, I'm drunk and I'm just gonna chase smoke <laughs> on stage. 
<laughs> I'm slowly killing myself live. <laughs> <laughs> I ever tell you the one about how I got the name? Yes, yes. You got tater salad. Yes, yes. And you tell it every single time. It's like, well, I came anyway. up with that joke within the past four years, so I'm still going to tell it. <laughs> Anyway, there was this one plane ride that was like, yes, yes, yes. It was a really small plane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Boros regenerated, and he has no dick. Uh, Kawaki basically is like, this, or rather, Bart realizes this is really bad because even if we had infinite chakra, we still wouldn't be able to actually hurt this guy. So everyone kind of realizes realizes that he's just trying to get the chakra until he can they have got nothing left and he can finish them all off so kawaki says to bartomitsky like hey I, I need you guys to buy me some time uh and so they're like all right and they rush in and try to do stuff we get a little bit of them trying to hold him down with various moves uh while kawaki is like listen serata basically do you read the promised neverland because you see he can regenerate infinitely but there's a core inside of him. <laughs> Bad timing is all it was, you know, like the regeneration. But there's a core inside of a thing. That's an old trope. But it's just that it's following up on another fight that we had in a different series recently where there was an infinitely regenerating enemy. They just needed to kind of wear down while also there was a poison taking effect, a poison virus. So some parallels there. And essentially, Kawaki just share some of his knowledge of the way that the scientific ninja tools that Amato implants and the people work that the stronger that the tool is, the bigger the core that is implanted into the person needs to be. And he says it'd be at least the size of a heart somewhere inside of him. But Serata points out, well, we've blown up literally all of this guy's body at one point or another. So why is it still regenerating then? And Kawaki's like, listen, there, there is a core inside of him. Trust me, you've got to use your Sharingan in order to take it out. Anyway, we're going to go help out. And uh, so he rushes in, too. And things start to look really bad. Uh, you know, Mitsuki gets taken out. Boruto's, like, running out of ch- out of Chakra. Uh, Sarada is able to uh, analyze the way that Boro is moving and that he's making hand signs, but seemingly nothing happens. Uh, and she realizes that that is how he actually moves the core inside of his own body is that he makes the hand sign in order to do that. And so over the course of several pages, she realizes uh, what where it is that it's located basically over his hip. And uh, so she's like, OK, I've got, I've got to you know go after this, but I can't use, you know, fireball or Phoenix Blossom or anything like that. Uh, I can't use other things that he'll, you know, just counter because, uh, you know. I can't do anything that'll get blow up the gas. There's, but there's got to be something I've got to do that I can do faster than he can weave signs because if he realizes what I'm up to, then he'll just move it. So eventually he's like, she says, there's one technique I can use, but it's a jutsu I'm still practicing and I haven't tested in real battle yet, so I might not be able to pull it off, but I've got to try. And so she rushes in and summons Chidori and manages to seemingly land a blow on Boro with it right over where the core is. And that's where the chapter ends. So, how'd you like the chapter, Chris? I love this chapter. I thought this was a great chapter. Uh, The action's great. Uh, All the characters are getting big moments to shine. Uh, There's a small touch I really like that kind of emphasizes Serata 
where she sees what uh, I forget his name, which is the unfortunate part. Uh, the bad guy, uh, Boro. Dick, Dick uh, Boro. Uh, where she mentions she sees what his technique is, and she's like, "Okay, no fire or lightning jutsu, because that'll just enable him to do his exploding technique." And later we see Mitsuki not pick up on that and use a lightning technique and get blown away by an explosion. It's kind of just a small moment to kind of show how analytical Serata kind of is and how kind of quick she is as a leader. Uh, I like that, like, Mitsuki, even though he gets blown away, like, still feels relevant in this fight. In fact, it kind of feels like Boruto is the one who's kind of least important in this fight as things go along because he's just there to kind of throw a, a energy ball every so often. Uh, like everyone just felt super cool. Kawaki kind of being like standing at his ground and being like, I, you had to figure this out. I know what the idea is, but you need to do it. We're going to try to delay him as much as possible. And just like the ending being like a cool way to pay back to, to the like Naruto of past to be like, Oh, she's mm-hmm. using the Chidori. It's a cool moment. And it's honestly maybe the coolest Chidori in Naruto for me, where I'm like, it, this feels like a really big moment. Like, this is the exact right pacing that Boruto as a monthly series needs to kind of handle this sort of fight. Well, especially because, like, Chidori was never really Sasuke's big trademark thing because he was always switching between so many different jutsu as he was, you know, a more and more prominent character. So, yeah. Um, someone asked in the chat, uh, like who taught, uh, Serata this technique because, you know, her dad's never around. And, uh, there's a detail that I didn't realize until this read through of it, as we were talking about it, that she triggers her Sharingan in between charging at Boro and actually summoning Chidori, which means that she copied it. So that's a cool little thing. It's like, oh, right. That's what the Sharingan was supposed to do. Just copy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And it also makes sense why, you know, she's like, I haven't really tested it yet because, because no one's actually taught her how to use it. She's just using a copy. So, yeah, it's super satisfying. Uh, hopefully this is kind of the end to the Boro fight because this has been like the right kind of pacing for it. But I'll be honest, this was the most exciting, I think, Boruto has kind of ever been for me where I was like, I'm super into this. Like, I want to keep following these kids on this adventure. Yeah, I really like this chapter. A lot of good action. I like that Serata got, you know, this was really like Serata's fight. Uh, it, it was set up as her fight in terms of like, you know, her being uh, designated the leader and leading the charge at the beginning. Uh, so it's, it's satisfying to see her get the final blow in this. And Chris, we've had Boruto to do a lot of stuff. We had Serata do some stuff. We had Kawaki do some stuff. You know what that means? It can't be too long until Mitsugi gets his time in the spotlight. And we're going to have to be like, oh, right, he actually does things. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that day. They're like, well, what we're going to do is another side story about him. <laughs> it's a one chapter long thing, and that's kind of it. And, then we'll, uh, and you, you know, won't stop. really care. You, you won't really be satisfied with it. Uh. <laughs> I'm waiting for, like, the the Team 7, like, award ceremony where he gets Chewbacca and they forget to give him the medal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just him staying there just like. I mean, I guess in lieu of anything else, I'll just. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to mission. How could you say Revenge of the Skywalkers is the perfect? Chewie got his medal. (laughs) 
when I when I first posted when I first posted about that movie and I had all those negative things to say about it, I then I then followed up with a list of positive things, one of which was justice for Chewbacca. So yeah, the fact that he got a medal was one of the best things in that movie. <laughs> so. I, really, I really wish somewhere there was a checklist of things that people were like, well, we didn't explain these things in the first Star Wars, so we gotta do them now. And, you don't, JJ. <laughs> and one of the big ones on there, like underlined a couple times, Chewbacca Metal. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I think I think the world would have been okay if we didn't make Chewbacca get a medal, but you do you, I guess. Oh man. Alright. Mission Yozakura family, mission twenty spying on a spy. Chris, I didn't like this at all. I really did not. This, I'll be honest, Nick, this is the chapter to divorce yourself from the series. It might have to be. Because I, 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 this is not a good sign. It's not, no. Uh, it's a weird pullback from last week. It is. And Where we thought like, oh, it's time for things to get more serious. Tyo's going to need to actually do stuff. We're going to have, you know, an ongoing story. And uh, jokes about uh, Tayo getting trussed up over fire. And he basically decides that in order to redeem himself, because everyone's like, oh, you're ruining you know, the reputation of the family because you got your ass kicked by these government agents. Uh, so he's like, all right, I've got to you know, get stronger. So the best way for me to do that is to tail these guys and learn from them. And so the serious guy, Al, or whatever his actual name is. I forget what they I keep calling it was, him. It, it Sui. Not, Sui. Yeah. Sui uh, is what they call him. His other, his first name is Al, I think. But anyway, he keeps on cutting off Tayo's clothes, uh-huh. like just over and over again, in order to get him to stop following them around. So people are like, oh, Tayo keeps on getting you know naked and you know, out in public and stuff. But oh, over time, Tayo's able to follow along more and more without getting in the way and well, dodging Sui's attacks, I guess. And then so at the end of finally, at the end of the week, Tayo is able to actually keep up with them through the entire day. And he observes uh, Sui uh, polishing what looks like a very rough grave marker. Uh, and so Sui's like, I commend you on your persistence, but no matter how much you try, you'll never beat me. So let me put an end to this. He rushes in to attack Tayo, who gets cut up, but he manages to stop the blow to his center and so he's like oh i remember you know after being attacked all these times you know how how his attacks work so i can't see it i can't react to it but i can be prepared so even if i can't win i can at least try to land a hit and so he's like i acknowledge you now oh god sent to his wounds and he's like yes you were able to figure out this much so you're not with complete without merit so i have altered my perception of you and then it closes on a joke of all of the dirt sheets on spies and stuff are like, hey, this this kid's been going around streaking lately for some reason. That's it's really dumb. OK, it just. OK, so he followed this guy around a whole bunch and occasionally the guy felt like cutting his clothes off. You know, it's I don't I don't know what the point of this is. And it's really depressing because I had much higher hopes for this series than just these bizarre jokes and i don't really 
think it's going to go anywhere now. No, I, I think this was the chapter that's going to be the, like, the death nail, essentially. Because there was, there was, I, I don't know if it would have saved it, but there was a chance where when the series moved to trying to be more serious last week that you're like, all right, we're going to firmly establish a new direction for this series where we're going to kind of move away from the gags. We're going to set up this new kind of antagonist character. We're going to hand our hero a big serious loss to kind of make him reevaluate some things. And then the next chapter is like, what if we just do a comedy chapter about him? And immediately, Owie is not really kind of this mythical figure anymore because he just spends all of his time cutting people's clothes off, essentially. And, yeah, like, it just kind of feels like a really weird way to walk back with the last chapter kind of set up and be like, yeah, you know what, if we're going to go, maybe, and maybe it is, maybe the series is just on its way out and they were like, I don't know, let's just, uh, let's just do what we do. I mean, you know, there's, you can do like a, an action comedy series, but like the last chapter was not comedy. There were there were a couple of jokes to line the move, but it ended on a very dire note of, you know, Tyo got his ass handed to him and he would have basically died if now Naoto hadn't basically begged for him to be spared. And Tyo's like, I was utterly defeated, you know, and there was the image of like, you know, his gun got cut to pieces. That was how utterly he got his ass kicked. Uh, and then this one is like. Oh, he got naked a whole lot. Oh, yeah. it, you know, if you're going to follow up on that with the joke, you know, shouldn't the setup have been more humorous, too? And so the only other option, then, is that this chapter is supposed to feel triumphant because he had a setback in the previous chapter and then he's supposed to have a triumph in this one. But the impact of that is really dulled by all the jokey jokes in this. And it's the same joke over and over and over again. He gets his clothes cut off. If it were a series of different jokes that I might feel a little different about this, if it, you know, it felt fresh all the way through, but it's just tiring to get through this and it's not a very long chapter. No. Yeah. I, I, I think this is a chapter where I, I put it behind me, you know, I I'm sure we'll keep reading it until it ends, but I think this was, this was its last, last hurrah. <laughs> I don't even want to say not hurrah. even last hurrah. No, hurrah implies a good thing happened. Yeah, this was just the the last one I give a fuck about. I guess we'll say this about Samurai as we go on into as we go on into that. It's not good for the most part, but there's something weird to talk about in like every single chapter. So oh, right, that's what happens this week. I had to sit there. It's like, what happened this week? And I got like halfway through, and I was like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so a lot actually happens in this chapter. <laughs> so we open up with um, Send the Silent approaching everyone and being like, they've arrived at a judgment for you guys. Uh, as we begin with chapter 34, license download. And he says, you will all be in my custody and you will assist me with my mission. And he essentially says, you're going to be serving community service. I'm not going to throw you in prison or anything like that. Very light punishment. And he also says, we'll be borrowing your ship as well. So it's a very weird roundabout and authoritative way of saying, I'm joining the party for a little bit. 
And so Sonda says, well, what's going to happen with me? Because he was expecting, even the beginning of this chapter, is like, you guys were tricked into coming here. You'll get off a lot lighter than me. And it sends like, yeah, you're coming with us. So this is his community service, too. So they're all kind of shocked by this, but they move on from pretty quickly. Uh, Hachimaru brings up, hey, I'm going to do all this important stuff to save the galaxy. And sends like, well, our goals are aligned right now. Then, you know, my mission is to find Hanaichi, a warrior known as the Cat Samurai. It's definitely metaphorical and not literal. And his young samurai pupil, who is said to have a box key and capture them both. Now, let us board your ship. We must leave at once. Then we cut away to this Saturn-looking planet. Uh, we see a cloaked figure say, I'm heading out. Another cloaked figure says, hurry. And then we cut over to a little girl who says, well, stars have a lifespan and they explode when they die. And it will engulf us all as it does. It'll light up and look like stars in the night sky. I'll become a twinkling star, too. And her mom is like, what does that have to do with you? Just go to school like you're supposed to. Actually, I should say, I don't know if this is a girl or a boy. You never know with, you know, the hairstyles in this series. A child says this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're like. So they're like, just go to their mom's like, go to school. And they're like, but well, aren't we going to explode and die? What's the point? <laughs> Ah, like me when I was, uh, well, I don't think I was like seven when I decided to start acting like this. I think I was like 17, maybe. The true weirdness of this conversation isn't revealed for another couple of pages. But anyway, their teacher is like, you're talking about like really distant stars somewhere else. The lifespan of a star is millions, hundreds of millions of times as long as yours. The kid's like, what if it happens today? It is a girl. Okay. I should have known from the eyelashes. That's how you tell. <laughs> Except when it's an, a very effeminate boy. When it's a joke. Because that's... Manga trips are weird. Anyway. So, the mom's like... She won't stop talking about this. And the girl's like, buy me a spaceship. Okay. Because she wants to get away from the star explosion. Then we get a montage of, like, life happening on the planet. Kids playing in the street... A wedding happening, uh, people just talking and having coffee and stuff. And then the cloaked figure approaches the girl and says, I found you. Then we cut away to Atta, who says, fire and cubes of destruction launch out of his ship and blow up the planets that this is happening on. So we get the Death Star moment, basically, of, you know, oh, my God, they just blew up a planet. The weird thing about this to me. So in recent, you know, Star Wars films, you know, you had like Starkiller Base, the demonstration of the Death Star in Rogue One. And, you know, it's did a little bit of a different take on the whole planet destroying capabilities of these weapons and stuff, where instead of just seeing a discipline and it blows up. Uh, And people are sad about it. And, oh, I felt as if, you know, a thousand voices were crying out and then were silenced all at once. Instead, we get, you know, hey, here are all these people who are looking up at the sky when this planet destroying thing comes down and blows them all up. But then imagine if you had those movies and it took a step further where there was some shitty little kid who was like, what if the planet blows up when we all die? Oh, that'll never happen, honey. (laughs) And then it does. (laughs) 
Quiet now, Ichigo. Eat your cereal. <laughs> Mommy, what's that in the sky? I have to say, weird thing, because we learn that the girl's name is Ichigo, and the guy who kidnapped her, basically, in order to take her onto the ship and save her, is named Goku. So yeah, yeah. Goku just saved Ichigo. It's like, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? I know they're not the least common names you could have up here in a manga, but still it was like, hold on a second. For someone who's <laughs> infamously been doing manga long enough that one of his contemporaries' main character was Ichigo and one of his major inspirations' main character was Goku, it's hard not to think that there's something to that. Welcome, Ichigo. You have been saved by my disciple, Goku. Here is our pilot, Luffy, and his com- <laughs> and his comrade, Deku. <laughs> Captain Gon will be along shortly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he goes away for long stretches of time. <laughs> but, we, but he always shows up eventually for a little while. <laughs> but he can always rely on our precious vessel, the SS Sailor Moon. <laughs> That's actually a really good name for a spaceship. <laughs> it's, think about. it's an amazing name. Why have I not named a spaceship that yet? <laughs> so, anyway. So, Goku, who is the disciple of the Cat Samurai, as we had learned about before, Hanaichi, specifically came to rescue Ichigo for some reason. Uh, didn't have time to snatch up her mom, I guess. He was just like, there she is. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and carries like pocket. <laughs> I hope that they'll say something along the lines of like bring that up and then be like, listen, we literally had absolutely no time because they cut it impeccably, incredibly close. Like they show up, he runs to grab her, grabs her, they get on the ship and are taking up as the planet explodes. So I hope that they bring up the point of like, if we had had time, we would have tried to save your mother or someone else, but literally we didn't have a choice because. That's kind of a dick move to just be like, gotcha, didn't get anyone you care about, bye. Huh. I thought the implication, I must have just been misreading it, and that's probably the case. I didn't reread this a second time. My thought was that they were evil, that they were aligned with Ada. Because we do find out that Send the Silent, in one of his very solemn, silent moments, told everyone like, hey, I'm trying to capture these guys. So you could assume that they're criminals of some extent. And it's like, it seems very convenient they go to rescue who presumably is the only significant person on the planet seconds before right. it is exploded. Also, several other planets exploded at the same time. So yeah. presumably each of the cubes. Here. See, it is Starkiller base. Yeah. Multiple planets. So, uh, yeah, Hanaichi reveals himself. He has a cat head. So that's why he's the cat samurai. It's a weird cat head, though. Anyway, um, so Atta says to one of the clones that uh, you know, we will now collect the samurai souls, which leads me to believe that basically you're just like, yeah, we blew them up so that we could, you know, take all of the samurai souls, which is like the most efficient means of doing that. I can I can think of if you have that capability. So like, fuck sword fighting these guys. Yeah, we just, <laughs> we're just blowing up fucking planets and then collect the coins afterwards. This is really ramping up like the da- the danger levels. You know, it's 
again, to make the Star Wars comparison, people had the thing of like, oh, it, you know, Star Killer Base is just a bigger Death Star. And there's like, oh, we've got to escalate that further. All these Star Destroyers have planned to destroy capabilities. It's like, you know, you have to just keep on ramping up the threat level. So in this story about samurai fighting each other, oh, yeah, Death Stars. <laughs> Don't worry, the space dragon will shoot its missile Rubik's cubes at you and blow up your whole galaxy. So, uh, I don't know, it's just another thing to keep track of. Uh, everyone is on Dharma's ship when we cut over to Hachimara's group. Dharma's still hibernating, so Hachimara says that, oh yeah, I was told that if I download the Congo Yasha style license from him, I'll be able to detect the location of the people who can open the box. So, you know, I need to download this patch. <laughs> I forgot uh, this chapter does this. <laughs> so, this was already a wild chapter. And so, so everyone's like, well, we can't speak with him, though, while he's hibernating like this. Well, we've got to wake him up. And Hachimaru's like, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. But then the ship speaks to them and is like, I am Yokin, Master Dharma's holder. Keyword wake up detected. He has authorized me to facilitate the download of the license. Shall we begin? Oh, that was convenient. <laughs> this keyword is like, uh, Hachimaru might need me one day. Uh, and maybe I'll have used all my power and I'm asleep. So... If at any point he says the words, wake up, just activate this and uh, I'll download a samurai style into his brain. Like, what is this series? It's like if he, did so learn, Hachim- if he did learn everything he needed from the video game I programmed, I'll shoot a tentacle into his brain and I'll download it. <laughs> Hachimaru, you have mastered this version of the game, but you need to download the update for the next process in your train. There's a patch! We're balancing a couple things. We're trying to bump you off. Also, this has corrected that bug with the cat people, so now you won't see their weird human hands. It's so just, it's just it's He's like, it won't stop. It just plays on repeat. Like, oh, sorry, we already used the one wake up call. You got to wait till he actually wakes up. All right. So, Hachimaru connects to Dharma through their head USB ports, and so I I swear. It took me about three tries to get through this part of the chapter because every time I started, so Dharma says, allow me to explain. I was being like, fuck. <laughs> I'm, More exposition. Hachimaru, things have been pretty simple for you to this point. Like, no, no. <laughs> so it's immediately like, God damn it. I know explaining how samurai bullshit works. I know you think like you know everything, but I'm about to blow (laughs) your mind. You shut the fuck up! (laughs) It's about time for you to take the red pill. No, goddammit, you take that goddamn blue pill! I don't want to pay more attention! (laughs) Fuck you, Darma! I hate you! 
<laughs> the only way this could be better if he's like, hmm, I don't know if I have the words to handle this. Thankfully, I created a digital copy of Send the Silence to explain all of this to you. Oh god! This is why we have to keep reading this series, isn't it? It's because we fuck it. It's just the send the It's just the send the silent version of Clippy. <laughs> hey, it looks like you're trying to download it's a like style. <laughs> Would you like help with that? No, goddammit, send the silent. I don't. You know we've got templates. <laughs> All right, we've got so many chapters to talk about, so we can get through this. All right, fuck so... all of them. None of them are as good as this. <laughs> Fucking Hachimaru, little prick, is like, oh, this is a message from my master. Well, that speech is probably going to be really long, though. <laughs> you little asshole! Fuck off. <laughs> so. He brings up, though, that he's, like, in this completely empty abyss. And and so the key holder is like, well, Master Dharma said, just close your eyes, practice Zen meditation, and it shall come into view. So he does that, and a fucking progress bar comes up. <laughs> this is the moment that broke me. <laughs> I lost my shit with the big moment. It's just like a fucking... <laughs> Computer Philip Park shows up and he's like, this kind of sucks. You remember like, the, you know, like, so I'm a spider, so what? When we read that and there were all the, you know, diagrams and stuff of, you know, like, hey, you know, here is what are all the statistics because it's, you know, a, an RPG style thing. But at least with that, it was like, OK, here it is and get used to seeing it throughout the entire series. This one's come while this series has been published for the past eight months. And all of a sudden, just like, here's a download bar. Here are your statistics. <laughs> if you'd like to level up statistics for you to be a master samurai, Hachimaru. See, yeah, go through each training. Base Hachimaru, A is kind of so-so. But if you would like to use your premium jewels, you can try to open Holiday Hachimaru, and he's like an SS unit, so that's a big upgrade. <laughs> and if you get another Hachimaru, you can combine them, but don't do it before you've leveled them both up to their maximum potential in order to get their maximum <laughs> to unlock. You're going to want some dupes. It's, it's like, oh, come on, come on, gold Hachimaru, gold Hachimaru, bring up, oh, fuck, copper Hachimaru. Somewhere out there, Jeff is listening to this podcast, he just spent $30 on, on a gotcha <laughs> game that doesn't exist. He's like, god damn it, I've got to do my dailies for this Hachimaru. Simulator. <laughs> hey, it looks like you need some help with your dailies. Oh, god damn, don't send the clipping. <laughs> Only scrubs use the use the send trainer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So in addition to the progress bar, a simulation of Dharma shows up there too. And he's like, yes, even while asleep, I can speech at you to exposit how this works. And eat, hey, in this virtual world, I can also take my human form and look way cooler. So now I can instruct you even during the download. So that's convenient. So as the progress bar goes slightly more and more up, more information becomes available to Hachimaru. 
including their fucking statistics. And it shows strength, speed, intelligence, technical sense, gravity, whatever the fuck that is, key holder, heroism, and charisma. Some of these things feel like they shouldn't be measurable like this. There's a m- number of jokes about how Hachiburo has zero charisma, which Dharma keeps on dumping on him for. The only thing of note is that Hachimaru's stats are all, you know, like double digits at best, whereas Dharma's are all in like quadruple digits, if not more. I don't know exactly what N means. I think that that means that it's like exponentially larger than it appears. Um, or I thought maybe but, that's like his normal mode, like when he doesn't I like. But the point is that his stats are way stronger than Hachimaru's, except for gravity. Dharma's is 4,000, Hachimaru's is 80,000. And again, all the rest of Hachimaru's stats are in double digits at best. And so they pay some attention to this thing with Dharma saying, I've literally never seen anyone with that high a gravity score. So it's a good thing that we got our scouters, Chris, so that we can tell how strong they are. (laughs) Stop doing this, manga! (laughs) No, Fuck. see, now we know exactly how strong Hachimaru is. We know how to get right. him stronger. To give some credit to Black Clover after we went on that for their arcane ranks and stuff, at least that was categorization as opposed to giving an exact number to things, which is far worse. <sighs> you know what's annoying? If they repackage Samurai 8, as a video game samurai manga, this would probably make a lot more sense. But just because every so often it dips its toe into being it, it's so much more obvious how much this doesn't blend with the rest of the world. It really... Sh- it's something that is, like, obviously stuff that it happens all the time, but then it really doesn't feel like it fits whenever it does come up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Alright. They talk a lot. Eventually a bizarre entity appears before them. The warrior god Fudo Myo. And Dharma's shocked to see it because he didn't arrange for this to appear. That's Samurai 8. This is what actually... A, what, what a wonderful amount of garbage. <laughs> but, this is supposed to be a pretty big moment, too. The warrior god is supposed to be this big mythical figure in the world of Samurai 8. So even just a visage of him showing up where he's not expected is seems like it's a pretty big deal. And it seems like this is a pretty big chapter based off of the planets being destroyed and Ichigo being introduced and seeing new characters and... Find out more details about Sen and who he's after, and then being introduced to like we're we're introduced to a lot in this chapter, so it feels like this is a big chapter. Of Samurai Eight, it's mm-hmm. just something where you're like, I guess we'll see where we go. It, it, it's it's hard. Sometimes I wonder if Kishimoto is it knowing in some of the stuff he does, where he's like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make these dudes lose their fucking minds when he sits down to meditate in a fucking progress bar shows up. G Flugel uh, says in the chat, basically along those lines, it's like if Boomer Kishimoto tried to somehow get what the new stuff kids are into these days. Oh, fucking Bart or uh, Hachimaru does the floss next chapter. And they're like, no, that's not, it's not, it's not not cool anymore. (laughs) Like three years too late for that one, my man. 
dabbing that'll stick around for a bit longer i guess <laughs> I, it better i've been um, practicing <laughs> okay let's move on chris to undead unlock our new series from shonen jump and i love this chapter this is a really cool uh introduction to our premise uh there's a lot of stuff shown off in the series there's a lot to talk about but we've got so many chapters to discuss this week so i'm gonna try and limit it to just kind of like summing up what's what like the premise is uh which is that there is a girl who wants to commit suicide because she believes that she is essentially cursed uh she tells everyone around her as she's trying to jump into a onto a set of train tracks that she's contracted a horrible disease but the, re- the reality is that people who touch her are cursed with horrible luck. Uh, as in, like, something lethally bad happens to them. And the longer that she is touched, the more intimately she is touched, the worse things happen to them. However, before she can jump to her death, uh, a weird guy who is not wearing a shirt uh, sh- gets in her way and interferes. And uh, he's like, "What? You're, you're you've got a deadly disease? Yeah, right." And he kind of grabs her by the face. Nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's happening to me. You know, well, come on. Why am I dead? What's what's up with that? And she's like, oh, "It's coming, my unluck." And like the part of the bridge that he's standing on crumbles underneath him, and he ends up falling in front of the train instead. Fortunately, he is immortal. Uh, he refers to himself as being undead. Uh, and his body just regenerates as she goes and, you know, is standing by the tracks like, oh, my God, I got that guy killed. And, of course, because his body was completely destroyed, he's naked for like the entire rest of the chapter, essentially. Um, but but uh, this guy who ends up getting the name Andy later as a pun on undead um, shows off all these different ways that he can use his regeneration. He deliberately destroys his own limbs and body in order to use his body and its regeneration in weird different ways, like by destroying his legs. When they regenerate, he springs up into the air. Uh, All sorts of stuff. Also, there is a rectangle over his junk the entire chapter. It's very distracting. Um, And essentially, they get, uh, you know, over the middle part of the chapter they get to know each other a bit because andy is curious about how her power works um and since he's immortal he doesn't have any you know consequences to worry about one thing that i really enjoy is that he's got her like you know in a little abandoned building and he's testing how it works in specific ways like okay i touched you for this number of seconds and this thing occurred you know i touched for this number of seconds and this thing occurred so you know what will happen if there's a really big thing you know um but then there's a sweet moment because as she's trying to run away and get away from him uh her hat comes gets caught on something and uh uncovers her head and reveals that she's got incredibly long hair which she's really embarrassed about because she's like you know, no one can cut it for me because they would have to touch me in order to cut it and then they would die. And so Andy's like, well, you know what? Here, I'll, I'll cut it for you. And he's like, you know, for, for one thing, as long as I'm actually touching you until I let go, nothing bad will happen to me. And also, once I do let go, I'm undead. I'm fine. Um, and he cuts her hair really, really, really short. And uh, so... He's like, all right, now that I've been holding you for 50 minutes, I wonder what's going to happen to 
movie. Oh, but it's going to be something big. And then someone comes in and chops his head off. Turns out there are people who are after him. Uh, there are apparently irregulars in this world, like Andy, like the girl, Fuko. Uh, and there are government agents who are out to capture them, including putting Andy's head in basically a really large Pokeball so that he can't regenerate. But... <clears throat> Lining ends up striking Andy in the ball and setting him free because of all that bad luck that got built up. He comes out the shard of something embedded in his brain. All the life experiences that he's accumulated that he normally seals off from himself come back to him and he has all these abilities, all these fighting skills, and he's able to fight them off. And uh, also, he just you know fucking cuts his own head off and throws it, does all this cool stuff. And... Uh, at the end, Fuko's like, there's one thing that I can do that'll actually unleash a whole ton of bad luck. And it's she kisses him on the cheek. And uh, when that happens, the a freaking meteor comes down from the sky. And so that ruins the bad guy's plans to uh, capture them. And a uh, huge explosion. Andy is fine. Uh, and he was holding the lead agent down with him. Uh, so they've basically won the day, won the day. And he's like, all right, you know, I. I, you know, I've, I'm at, I've done it. And now, you know, we're out of here and she, Fuko names Andy and stuff. And, uh, uh, Andy makes a really ugly comment of like, Oh, well, a meteor summoned, a, uh, was summoned by a kiss. Well, what if we were to bang? And she starts running away from him. Ugh, creepy. But I really like the way that this, the, the series is drawn. I like the way that Andy's abilities are played around with, um, and I think that there is a lot of interesting stuff that you can do in this in terms of the way that their abilities work off each other. So I look forward to more. So, uh, I kind of <clears throat> fell into like the middle with this where I do agree. The art's pretty cool. And I really, really do really enjoy the moment where she has her hair and he starts cutting it for her. And it's this very kind of sweet moment where he's just like, Oh, it's like, this is a big thing for you. And it's a nice, like, character room between the two of them. Um, I'm not super sold on the premise. There's a level of it that just feels like it's going to lead to some weird fan service. Uh, Absolutely. Because the whole premise is like, oh, well, it doesn't work if I touch you through clothes. So there's quite a few shots of him just, like, full on, mm -hmm. like, reaching up her shirt, kind of like. The oh, two page spread at the start of the chapter is him reaching under her shirt to grab her boob. And yeah. And Not a does, fan of that. And he does it so, in the chapter itself, yeah. too. So there's a level of that where I'm like, eh, it's a little weird. I'm also not super, like, I, the next couple chapters, I guess, will determine it. But I'm not super certain where you take this, that the premise doesn't run thin after a little bit. But I am curious to see more. I, I, I know there's there's some real divisive levels here in our audience of people who are like, I hated this. I loved it. This perved me out. Uh, this seemed okay. Uh, so there's a real mix of opinions and I can kind of see them all. I fall somewhere on the line of like, it's okay. I, I, I'm not clamoring for more, but this wasn't like the worst one or like chapter one we've ever gotten out of a series or anything like that for me. Mm. But I could see why it would for some people. I'm going to need to uh, count the limbs that it, uh, got taken off in this chapter. Picked a hell of a week last week to start uh, keeping track of that because it looks like there's going to be a lot of that. I mean, he city. literally weaponizes losing his arms, so you're, yeah. you're in a rough spot there, bud. Fortunately, I don't need to like keep track of all of them. I just need to keep track of the best examples, but yeah. Yeah. All right.
right. Uh, Zipman. The zip, zip. One of shit. I forgot this chapter until you said it. Nick, what the fuck happened in this chapter? One of the villains... I mean, there's a lot of cool little visuals in terms of like the format of, the, of uh, how stuff is laid out in this. But basically what happens is one of the villains who is acting like a hero like they all do uh, uses the zipping technology to transform the entire school into a fortress uh, and basically tells all the students that are in teachers and staff that are inside of it. Hey, you will have to play the roles that I assigned to you. Otherwise, you're going to be the monsters that I hunt and kill. Okay. And the entire time, he's very blatantly being like, we're heroes and we're going to protect you guys. It's like, okay, psychopaths. Uh, just, no one can get inside the school because it's fort fortified and there are robots that pop out in order to defend it. So I, I just meant more specifically, I remember last chapter where it's all about them kind of trying to get that glasses girl to open up. And at the end of it, she does, and she's like, oh, hey, I got this business card from somebody. And then this chapter opens with them looking at the same business card, and then the school unzips into, like, a supervillain compound. It has nothing to do with any of the rest of it, yeah. I, I was like, and what's-her-name's been kidnapped? I was like, I, I, what happened? Did I, did I fall asleep and miss a chapter? It does definitely feel like there was something that <laughs> missing from this. It was just, it's just the moment where it's like, cool, the business card. And I was like, oh, wait, there's schools of tank. Kagami and Koshiro combine, zip up, zip man comes smashing through the wall in order to save everyone. And the flaming head main villain hero guy is like, will you be able to make it to the top? And one of the others comes in and is like, I don't think so. I'm going to stop him. And that's it. It was a really weird chapter. Some cool looking things in it. I love what happens when the school gets transformed. It's really cool looking. But yeah, it does definitely come completely out of left field. So I, I think this was a supremely cool chapter. Like the I guess it's not fair to call it a two page spread, but like a page and a half spread where Zipman actually shows up is super cool. Like mm -hmm. he actually looks really dynamic and and like visually just fucking complex and awesome there. So I really enjoyed that. I do like the antagonists that we're kind of setting up here. This was just a very surprising chapter. Maybe we find out that glasses girl was in and all of it, but like mm. in my mind, it's just a moment where I was like, okay, the last chapter ended with them getting handed a card. This chapter opens up with them looking at the card. 17 other things have happened in the background since then. Apparently I'm like, okay, I will do my best to catch up. Although it does right. do one of my least favorite tropes in this kind of media, which is the main villain has kidnapped the female lead and has decided to dress her up in something else in the meantime. <laughs> it's always a weird trope I don't quite get. I understand he's got like a knight hero complex going for him, but it's always a weird thing to see. It's also a little bit weird because I know that this is all like referencing, um, you know, Japanese superhero kind of archetypes and visuals and aesthetics uh, that are popular in Japan. And I'm like, who is he supposed to be with the flaming head? Because <laughs> I recognize the design. I'm just like, who is he supposed to be? <laughs> we never learn. All right, Nick, we never learn. Uh, where is the question? Title page. I don't see it. Page one, bottom. 
Oh, question sorry. one. I'm sorry. There was a, a fucking. I forgot. There's the blank page. It just says we never learn on it, and I was like, is that the start? Sorry. Uh, question one forty three. The ephemeral mermaid princess sprinkles into the promised pizza bet. Jesus. So this chapter. Very cute looking. Uh, very cute looking uh, title page with yeah. uh, middle school Yuika and Aruka at a bus stop in the rain. Very much so. So this week. Uh, nothing happens for eighty percent of this chapter. Uh, Uega's sick. It's he's stupid, in stupid fan service. Yeah, uh, a scene happens where uh, Kirisu tries to bring in groceries. I'm still not entirely sure what happens. Uh, he's on Asumi's lap. Kirisu's bag of groceries explode, and we can already see from that angle that she's falling, and her butt height, which yes, is a factor in this is already lower than Uega's head is, but somehow she still stumbles backwards and falls and sandwiches him. I don't understand how it happens, yeah. but it did. Um, there's it looks much. like, if anything, her head should knock against Uega's head from the angle that she's falling at. And yeah, I guess she manages to like get her feet underneath her enough to stop her from falling over, but not enough to stop herself from completely just stumbling on top of him ass first. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment, though, where uh, Aruka is helping him, and she's like, hey, I just want to take care of you, because I care about you. And she's like, oh, wait, no, I, I don't mean it that way. And then she's like, oh, wait, no, I guess I kind of do mean it that way. Anyway, just let me take care of you for now. And that phrase reminds Uega of a flashback of a time that he spent with her, and I believe his little sister as well, because she seems to be in that scene, uh, where Aruka mm -hmm. said that line as well, saying, just let me take care of you for now. And Uega thinks, when did that says, happen? Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems to suggest that it was after their dad died. Um, and Eric was trying to be helpful and comforting then. Um, which, if that's the case, it would make sense if Uega doesn't really remember it all that well. Because when you're in a funk like that, yeah, some stuff doesn't get through all that well. So then uh, Fumino comes in. She's like, oh, hey, it's time for me to uh, time for switching. So she's taking over and she's like, ah, it looks like he's uh, fast asleep. And she's looking and she's like, oh, I could kiss him right now because she's thinking about how she loves him. And she's like, no, no, I I, I think about him all the time. When, when I wake up, I'm thinking about him. when I eat, when I laugh, when I fall asleep every time I'm thinking about him. But I can't. I have to get rid of these feelings because I don't want to hurt Aruka and uh, Ogata. So I just I shouldn't do that. And then Uega reaches out and grabs her hand and says, Aruka. And that triggers something in Fumino where she can't resist anymore. And she leans in to kiss him, even as she's telling herself, no, stop, stop. What are you doing? And in that moment, Ogata and Aruka open the door and see what's happening. So yeah. and Aruka, Aruka is shocked at what she sees because she drops the water that she was carrying. So, so I guess we're kind of handling everything right now, Nick. <laughs> it looks like it. Um, yeah, I mean, like this is definitely this bit with Fumio at the end is interesting because it's like, yeah, this is what happens when you don't like deal with like feelings that you're experiencing. You know, if you just try and push them down inside yourself without dealing with them, which is. A thing that a lot of teenagers do when they have those, you know, first loves is they just kind of like, I can't tell anyone about this. And then it just kind of eats away at them. And especially like when and it makes sense, actually, too, that she like has that big thing when she realizes that Yuiga is like thinking about Aruka instead of her, 
because that's when it kind of like really twists up inside of you mm-hmm. uh, speaking with it from experience uh, on that so yeah i mean it's got to be interesting to see how they deal with this because you know one way or another like uh, this isn't even thinking about like oh who's we gonna end up with it's just like well there's all these girls that are romantically interested in him and uh, that is something that they are going to have to deal with and work out if they're going to continue being in the same very tight knit peer group. So. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a pretty significant chapter. Let's kind of see what happens from here. Maybe we're closer <laughs> to the end than we thought, because this was one of the last things to handle as well. And it seems to be pretty out in the open. I guess Uwega himself doesn't know yet, since he seems to be pretty out of it, but... <laughs> yeah. Alright, so move on to Dr. Stone. Okay. Z equals 135, counting. I guess it's not time to get stoned. Right. Oh, it's time to get stoned! Sometimes you go low. Because low yeah. rhymes with still, unless you say low, you don't say the last part. We get a flashback that explains how Senku managed to avoid getting petrified and what the hell was going on with everyone else in their, you know, in their group poses and everything. And uh, so basically we see that Senku was trying to figure out how the hell he should deal with this. And he's like, well, maybe if I stick my finger in the revival fluid, but then he's like, but then, I mean, would that prevent me from getting petrified at all? Would it revitalize me after I was petrified or would just that part of me that I'm dipping in the fluid be depetrified, which would not help me at all? So he's like, I mean, I would have to experiment to figure that out and I don't have the opportunity to do that. So the only thing I can do and Chrome suddenly has a, uh, that flash of inspiration we saw pri- previously. And he's like, OK, everyone line up spaced, spaced evenly apart. And so they all coordinate. And so Chrome's like, OK, look. When your fingertips start turning to stone, send up a signal with your other hand. And that way, as each of her hands go up, Senku can track the speed, do some precise calculations, and that way he can figure out when the petrol beam will reach him. And, that, and we get this really cool two-page spread of everyone doing this, and as they're doing so, each person says something, you know, encouraging people, and, uh, you know, like, so... Yeah, uh, Ryusui is help being helpful with like uh, you know, it's like uh, beam speed must be this, judging by by you know uh, how uh, because you know he uses his nautical knowledge. Uh, everyone, some people are just saying like, oh, you know, good luck, Senku. Magma's like, figure this out or I'll kill you, Senku. You know that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. But it's a really cool two page spread of you know everyone turning to stone like that. I love it. And Senku is able to do the calculations. He's like, all right. Uh, I have to toss the fluid above me at exactly this speed and in order for it to drop down on me at exactly this point. And I've got to throw it at when the beam is this far away from me. And so he's like, ah, all right, all I need is perfect counting. And I've been, I've got 3,700 years worth of practice. So he tosses the revival fluid up. The beam reaches him, starts to turn his hand to stone. And then the fluid falls on his petrified hand and the stone kind of, is crackling as it covers him and explodes off of him. And he's like, all right. So the revival fluid stops the stone. So if you were to actually be completely immersed in it, then it would protect you from the beam. But, you know, bathing in nitric acid would be bad. Uh, so Senku sees all the people who, you know, 
station themselves out in order to help him. And he gives them all a high five as he walks past them like, you know, thanks, guys. And uh, we don't get the moment of him grabbing his hand because he does that afterwards when he comes to uh, what's his face, the big guy that Ibarra sent to the center of the island. Because before Ibarra shattered him to try and grab the, the device, Senku tried to do that, and his weak-ass hand was like, ah, so it didn't work. So then he tried to set a trap, the one we saw previously, with him trying to trigger the device remotely. And uh, so Senku is like, hey, I'm going to get I'm going to take that device from you now. Uh, and Ibarra tries to grab it. And he's like, by the way, I forgot to mention, while I was waiting around, I took the liberty of crafting some cutting edge tech, the likes of which Google and Toyota were once eager to create themselves. It's the rebirth of the self-driving car. And we get a self-driving AI acquired uh, thing that comes up. And then Senku jumps on a wire, which pulls a lever, which takes off the emergency brake and, and triggers the vehicle to go forward. And it charges ahead. And the narration changes to, well, except not really <laughs> as it, as it runs over Ibarra's. <laughs> it's so cool. This is a super great moment. Um, this was a very like exciting chapter to read. I love just seeing all the various characters in that big... Because I was like, I knew we were going to get something when it came down to like all the characters staying there with their arms up. I was like, there's going to be something to that, and it's going to be a cool moment. And it was. And we got a cool moment with Senku here. And there's a part of me that's like, eh, we're not, I don't think we're done yet. Because it's worth mm. noting, Senku just backed up into a door into the lab open. So I wouldn't be shocked if Abara climbs into the lab. Jumped inside something. of it to avoid getting run over, yeah. Or just he's going to get something to fight back. Like, I, I think there's more to this encounter than just this. And it, like, that's kind of where Inagaki's at his best when he does these mm -hmm. big back and forths. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's it's down to entirely one on one at this point. And, you know, unless it turns out that somebody was like hiding in the ocean, uh, you know, like how Yo had fallen out of the boat or something like that. But, uh, um, yeah, who know? I guess we'll see. It definitely does seem to be a thing of like, oh, he got him. And then, it, like you say, it could definitely reveal that uh, Ibarra was not run the fuck over <laughs> by this car. All right, let's move on to Chainsaw Man. Chapter 54, to go to Inoshima. So, uh, Chris, last time you said you didn't really care about the brothers who said that they were immortal. This chapter reveals that it's not just going to be all about them. There's a whole bunch of people gunning for Denji, and some of them much more interesting no, than those guys. I was going to say, guys. don't worry, there's three more villains for you to not like. like <laughs> no, no, I, they're okay. Yeah. Uh, we open with probably the most interesting ones because uh, there is a devil hunter and her apprentice uh, named Toka. And they go hunting and Toka shoots an arrow into a fox and kills it. And she says, do you feel like you took a life? He's like, no, I don't. So they skin the fox. Do you feel like you took a life? And he says, no, not especially. And then they cook it and eat it. And she says, do you feel like you took the? No, I don't feel like I took a, a life. And so she says... This current job isn't a devil hunter job. It is to kill this 16-year-old boy. And Toga says, sure, I can do that. And they're like, look, we're going to, she says, look, we're going to do what we did to this fox to a 16-year-old boy. We are going to kill him and carve out his heart. And that's our job. And Toka says, I can kill. 
the powers that be made a promise. Once this job is over, you can stop being a devil hunter. You only have half a year left to live. And I want you to live the rest of your life in peace. So it's a cool little, little short little story to establish what, who they are and what their relationship is. Then we cut to um, China and uh, there is a girl surrounded by a bunch of other uh, girls who are, you know, devils and uh, they're all varying degrees of weird and off putting. One of them has brain matter hanging out of her head and an eye hanging out of its socket. And she keeps on screaming Halloween over and over and over again. So uh, she, uh, Chuan Ji, uh, is approached by um, someone with a message saying, hey, you know, you're to go to Japan and capture this guy. This is going to be a really dangerous job. So the general says, we'll grant you any request to the best of our ability. And so she asks all of her girls what they want. And they just kind of say nonsense, except for one who looks like a corpse with her mouth stitched shut. And she says, well, give my girls human rights and a basic education. And the soldier says, we'll look into it if you succeed. Uh, then we got over to Makima, who says that, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that they're looking to be up against uh, shortly because there are all these hunters that are going to be coming to Japan, gunning for Denji. But she says that the one they need to watch out for is Germany's Santa Claus. And uh, there's a guy walking with her who says, you think he'll come? And she says, well, there are rumors he died of old age, but if he uses devils on us, it's all over. So we should pray he's been called to the pearly gates. We cut over to Germany. There is a nice looking cathedral. A guy with a winter hat approaches a guy on a sitting on a bench and he says, Christmas has come a little early. Who is getting the presents? (laughs) Fucking stupid code words. The The punchline is that this guy wants children, one to fuck and the others to use for missions. So, ew. And then finally, we cut over to Denji, who is still depressed about not getting to go on vacation with Makima. Although, admittedly, he is you know, questioning, like, why does everyone want my heart? Who is Pochita? And why can't I go on a trip with Makima? And Aki comes in and just fucking sits on him while he's lying. They're all, all depressed. And he says, it's not like you'll have assassins after you for the rest of your life. If we deal with every assassin who comes for you this time, the other side will start to play the waiting game, too. And then we can go on the trip. Makima never said the trip was canceled. It's only postponed. And Denji's like, oh, okay. So if I just kill them all, it's an Oshima. Here we come. I do love that that motivation is enough for him. He's like, all right, I just have to kill the assassins and then we can go on our big date. Uh, It's very adorable. Uh, So this chapter sort of sets us up that we're in. I don't know what you call this. But it's the type of essentially like situation. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Smoking Aces when you were younger. It's garbage. Uh, It's the same premise, though. (laughs) A whole bunch of assassins that are very crazy are going to meet for one big like thing. And then like almost all of them get killed immediately. It's very disappointing. So kind of hoping that's not what this is going to be right now, because that's what we're kind of setting up. Like we have all these different assassins coming together to meet up for this big thing. There's been other like versions of this kind of story too. I guess um, polar on Netflix was somewhat similar, not the same way. There's another one I'm trying to think of, but I can't, I can't think of it for some reason. So I'm, I'm excited to see if this one lives up to it. It's cool that we have all these different kinds of assassins and that all three 
that were introduced in this chapter are way more inter- interesting than the brothers introduced last chapter. We are immortal. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I can't wait to see what Santa Claus does. I can't I wait to see, see anything he does. Oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm the guy who sat there being like, more Forever Man and Teen Titans. <laughs> more Forever Man. And then he does nothing gets beaten. So I'm like, yeah, let's see what Santa Claus does. Forever Man. Yeah, the fucking old guy. Remember when they have like, um, the 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 league of evil or the legion of evil whatever they called it in the final season right. with the brain forever right. man was like the old guy who's lived through every oh war yeah as a general okay and he never gets his own episode and then they just kind of beat him i was like that was such a fucking cool premise and they don't do anything with it <laughs> yeah when he was like sun Tzu was one of my best students yeah. oh, such a great character can't believe it that's weird anyway uh yeah, everyone's like, don't let this old guy get his peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to seven deadly sins. Oh, do we have to, Nick? Having such yes. fun. Chapter three thirty nine: A Taste of Chaos. So the cat that they met a really long time ago was yes. actually evil. Yep, that's a monster. The, that's the whole big reveal here. It's Cat Palug, a monstrous cat who is always wanted the power of chaos for itself. So he lost the battle trying to get it before it was sealed away by the goddess. Uh, I actually looked up Kath Palug. Uh-huh. So apparently it is a Welsh legend and there are some French tales that use the legend of Kath Palug as a thing that fought King Arthur and in some legends uh, it killed Arthur. Okay. So, yeah. so we're playing into that now. Pretty cool. Um, it, it has a fight with Arthur, essentially. Arthur asks, like, hey, what am I to you? And Kath Blue's like, uh, nothing. You're a fucking meal. All I want is to eat you. That's it. So I'm not very good at this whole, like, tricking you thing. Yeah. Just... So Arthur just kind of summons a sword. And probably the only really cool moment of the chapter, he creates a sword that, like, is summoned by a bunch of, uh, like, doves and bats flying together and becoming, like, the blade itself. It's a very cool visual, and he's like, We'd ah. to see it animated. Yeah, he's like, ah, the holy sword has returned to my side. And then he uh, he basically slashes Kaith in half and uh, scatters away like a fucking Dragon Ball mm-hmm. after you've made a wish. So I don't know if he's dead or not. There's a giant he, has the cool, he has the cool hero line where Kath is like, I just want to eat you and kill you. And Arthur's like, I'm glad that you said that because it means I can strike you down without hesitation. So yeah, it's a cool thing. Yeah, there's a little bit of coolness there. I guess the only other thing that's significant before this that I kind of skipped over, uh, specific. I don't know. I guess we did learn that the lake kind of identifies by a bunch of different names. Merlin specifically mm-hmm. calls it Saint, though. Yes. So, uh, Merlin is worried because Arthur passes out afterwards, and she's like, "Ah, uh, oh no, he's in danger." And Elizabeth's like, "Ah, we should bring him to Leona's quickly," and Merlin's like. Not gonna happen. I've used. I've been using you guys for too long. I can no longer associate with you, and I don't want to mix you up in my selfish whims anymore. So, thank you for everything. And Elizabeth tries to stop her. Roland snaps her fingers, and the chaos world kind of starts to disappear. And you presume that it's she's it's like sending them away right now. And she says, "This is how it should be. A path I chose myself. My master Arthur. I will protect you." If it costs me my life. 
There are a couple of parts in this chapter, especially in the opening few pages, where it looks like it's a little bit incomplete, like the, there wasn't enough time to put the shading in on the characters and stuff. So I wonder if there are a couple of visuals that would become clearer if uh, they were more complete. Um, as is, this is a kind of an odd chapter, but it seems as though this is setting up for like there are more entities like Kathbalug out there who are trying to get Arthur and get the power of chaos. And that's what we're going to be dealing with. Um, I, but yeah. I really feel like our uh, Seven Deadly Sins is a series you can enjoy on a much different level if you know a lot more about Arthurian legends. Because I really, <laughs> it's never been a thing I've been super interested in. So yeah, if you hadn't mentioned the Cath Blue thing, I'd have been like, oh. Is there anything like Cat Safe, the shittiest member of Final Fantasy VII's roster? <laughs> It's a thing that's, I mean, it's a thing that gets referenced a lot, apparently, in a lot of different uh, yeah, uh, was, fiction out there. So I was say, I, can, I feel like I've heard the term at least Kath before. Uh, so. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Promised Neverland, Chapter 164, The Smiling Devil. Well, the first half of this is about, hey, remember those kids that the soldiers were protecting instead of rounding up to be killed? Uh, yeah, feel bad for them. Their parents are gonna die. Feel bad for them. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> did not give a shit. <laughs> it's like this somber moment. And it's weird, because I maybe this is like a demon thing, but like the, the guard's like, what are your names? Online, Mama! Like, well, that's very convenient now. It's very nice that they arrive. <laughs> so we can cut over to their parents being like, Allah, Mala! please spare them. And they like hold hands. It's just like a very sad moment, but it's, it's the like sing songy way of their names. Makes me feel like it's a Sesame street thing. Like Allah and Mala all alone. Now Allah and Mala. Uh, I hope that our, I hope that they don't kill our children. Eggy and Schmeggy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Sanju and Mujigar are tied up. A few days pass, and uh, Ratri gets a report saying, like, the disposal of those who receive the evil blood has been completed as you ordered, sir. And Sanju and Mujigar will be executed today. Why didn't they do it earlier? Because. So Ratri's like, good job. And they're like, with this, there is no one among them who will threaten the farm system. Ratri says, no. Only the escapees remain. So he goes to talk to all the kids that used to be at Gracefield House who are now back at Gracefield House. And they're all tied up except for Nat, who he cuts loose. And he's like, they're alive. Norma and Emma and Ray and the others from your family. They're not just alive. They're doing well. They even attacked the Imperial Capital, killing the Queen and aristocrats. I'm surprised to think they'd do that. <laughs> and he I don't know how he does it, but he breaks Nat's finger without us seeing what he does. Anyway, broke his finger. Everyone was like, no. And Roger gets really pissed off. He's like, oh, you lied to me. Didn't mom teach you not to lie? And Nat tries to put on a tough face for everyone in between cries of pain, being like, I'm okay, guys. I'm fine. And he's like, no, don't try to be brave. And he steps on his hand. He's like, you have to hate me, so I'm beating up a child. And now I'm going to make... And he's basically torturing him for information, trying to determine if Emma will make a new promise. If so, what kind of promise? And uh, then when this isn't working, he cuts another one of the kids loose. And no, 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 he's got Jemima at knife point. Not Jemima. <laughs> 
Jemima, with all those memories we got, had is with that... her of like, wait, is that her actual name? It's Jemima, J E M I M A, Jemima or Jemima. What? It's, that feels little... racist, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Racism in Thomas Everland with Crone and her big lips? No. <laughs> Hey, hold on. There's got to be a story here. I'm missing. <laughs> I don't remember is a there single like... thing that was done, okay? Is there some historical significance to the name Jemima? Or, like, that I'm missing? Or did they just not What's the most notable black character I can think of? And he's like, uh, uh, the syrup lady. God, it's not right. I never realized the character's name's So then Ratri is like, "You, you tell me what I want to know." And he's pointing out specifically Anna. Oh no, it's Anna's time to shine, Chris. Oh, good for her. I'm happy. She's getting another shot at the top. I'm happy. And she's like, oh, I don't know. I, the only thing I know is what medicines to pick out of this vault. <laughs> this is a weird chapter. Yeah. Just like back-to-back instances of care about this child you know nothing about. <laughs> uh, it's a kind of a bummer, too, to have that moment where he kind of, like, uh, Peter freaks out and is like, you lied to me! You lied! You and lied like, to me! And it's like, this shouldn't have been used this quickly, because you lose a lot of mystique on your character when you have the villain flip out, because suddenly you can see they, they aren't really in control anymore, and they're unhinged. Like, once you do this, you can't really take the step back and gain the same mystique. So it's a bummer there. Um, this is a chapter. It's there. If this This is a... Is a very strong embodiment of the issues that Promised Everland has had recently of just pacing issues and all this stuff for this big climax kind of not having really been built up before this point. And I really do wish we could have had a few instances prior to this of Peter Autry demonstrating this, you know, this two-faced kind of nature to him where, you know, a lot of the time he's very in control. He's very polite and calm. And he's, you know, with this smiling demon as is titled in this chapter, you know, and uh, then he whiplashes you with this very uh, aggressive, angry side of him. And, you know, like imagine if he had like captured these kids and occasionally we cut back to them prior to this of him trying to get from out of them by treating them very nicely and they're all kind of creeped out by him we don't know what he's planning to do with them let that go by a little bit and then all of a sudden he gets really fed up with them and he starts breaking nat's fingers and yelling at him and all this stuff and then it's like okay you know here's the mask coming down but we haven't really got enough time to be familiar with that mask yeah. to begin with so yeah you're right Black Clover. All right. Black Clover, page 236. There's no way we're the same. So we start off with a little thing between Asta and you know where they were kids. Talk about how they don't have any blood relations. But that means they're connected more than other people, right? Nakama. So, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. They're Nakama. It's indescribable, Nick. There's no direct translation. Um, 
then it cuts to you know spending time with various members of his guild who are like hey you know sorry we kind of treated you shitty because you were a peasant i'm sorry we were classist assholes uh hey let's go get cool it's cool to know that you're super powerful and also our vice captain let's be friends with you now that you outrank us yeah i was like it's nice to know that i'm sorry we were mean to you that you were a peasant now that we know you're useful (laughs) we're best friends um, oh, Rudolph, your nose is you know, lo- lit the way. Now we can be friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it, it does show like that, you know, cares about his allies. And that ex- explains why he's really mad, because as our villain says, he's like, yep, yeah, about half of your friends are dead and the other half are pretty close dead. to it. Yeah, so, yeah like, <laughs> he killed them. <laughs> there's a lot of dead people there and a lot more that are about to die. So, oh, know. no, not the members of Golden Dawn. <laughs> I mean, like, as long as what klaus i want to say is the glasses guy he's the only person who we can't account for i guess thus far and so uh you know when this guy start fighting we eventually find out his name is gradwa graddy gradrios i I don't know how to call it so i'm gonna call him big daddy gaddy so that's what i'm calling him from here on forward and he's just like aha he's he's not even trying to block my attack He's, he's rescuing all the other ones who ain't dead yet and then blocking the attack. And he's thinking about, like, ah, there's an arcane stage going up against the, the master right now. So he's, he's really excited. He's like, ah, it's cool. It's cool to know there's a zero stage here besides the captain. This is so cool. Uh, and they have a big fight. Uh, big Daddy Grady talks about how he's like, the Dark Triad needs arcane stage mages. So I guess indicating they're going to try to take William Vengeance. Um... I don't know. They they go super evil, where he's just like, "Yeah, our last king was a peace loving idiot who liked to give puppies out and uh, liked to bathe homeless men and 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 picked up litter. So we killed him, and now we do evil things instead." So we so we grabbed all the puppies and beat him to death with the puppies. <laughs> it really does feel like that. And they're like, yeah, no, the Strongs are the only ones who should matter. They get to do whatever they want. You know, it's like, but when you kill and you hurt people, how does that make you feel? And he's like, oh, it's the greatest feeling ever. That's why I can't quit. Isn't it the same for you? And you know, it's like, no. And then cuts him with the sword. <laughs> uh, but the guy blocks it with his stone magic. He's like, aha, I, you can't beat me with your magic. And then uh, all of his stone things start to break anyway. And he's like, no, my rock is eroding at an astronomical rate. Oh, and, you know, thinks I don't care whether it's as a mage knight of the Clover Kingdom or a prince of the Spade Kingdom. I'll be the one to shut this down. And become the wizard king. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere out there, Asta perks up and goes super sweet. He's like, what did I just hear? (laughs) That's actually a pretty cool uh, image in the after uh, where it shows, you know, the after effects of his slash through the guy. It's a cool, cool looking shot with the, you know, the wing uh, glistening off of his body and stuff. Um, in terms of, you know, chapters, this was actually pretty good just because yeah. the bar is really low on what to expect from him as a character. So it is pretty rushed to have it be like, I care about all those people you, you killed, but God it's something different. Like it's yeah. it's something to to give you uh, to you know chew on. And I care much more about you know getting revenge for his comrades in the guild than I do about him wanting to beat Asta and be the Wizard King. You know, 
So yeah, it's, it's more of this, please be, be make him a more well-rounded character. Yep, I agree. I thought this is a pretty cool chapter. All right. One Piece. Chapter 968, Odin's Return. Guess what? Odin returns in this chapter to one. There's a lot of different things that kind of, there are so many like things that are kind of like seeds into the present that get set up in this chapter. Um, and a lot of stuff is just kind of hinted at because it's from the perspective of Odin's journal and what he knows about what's going on. So for example, uh, when they get back from uh, Laugh Tale, uh, Shanks comes crying to uh, uh, Roger and says something and then cries afterward. And we don't find out what, the, what he's talking about. So hmm. um, there is a bit that, you know, of like, you know, legends being passed around about ro- what Roger has accomplished. The fact that the government is already referring to him as Gold Roger instead of Gold D Roger, uh, stuff like that. And uh, then they get there's a moment uh, between Roger and his crew where they're like, uh, you know, preparing for what's going to happen next, because there are all these people on the hunt for him now. And so everyone's like, you know, we'll face everything together, uh, you know, we, we, you know, and Roger's saying, like, I can die without regrets. And I've, I'm so grateful to all of you. And they're like, we'll face the, the future ahead. Just leave it to us. And he's like, I'm disbanding the Roger players. <laughs> Um, and we get a flashback within a flashback of, <laughs> Hey, those are the best. Uh, I love that you're already in the black border. So they're like, I guess we just a go gray to- border. <laughs> we just go to a less dark version of white <laughs> or more dark. So, um, we see him kind of following up on the prophecy that, uh, Charlie Char- had shared with him about, you know, 10 years till the birth of uh, the sovereign and then 15 more years uh, after that to grow. And uh, after that, Roger says like that voice was speaking the truth. Someone will be born and eventually surpass us. We were just too early. The one piece they call it. I wonder who will find it. And Roger's like, well, that'd be my son. And Raleigh's like, you don't have a son. Well, not yet, but <laughs> he's like, I've got very limited time. Time to impregnate. Someone. Time to get busy. <laughs> so they have a big celebration and also they're going to take Odin home. Uh, Roger says to Odin, I'm going to uh, meet with Whitebeard before I die. Do you want me to tell him to send Izo back to Wano? And Odin and uh, Odin's like, nah, he's become comfortable on the ship. Tell him, take care of White Kichi for me. And so I was like, all right, we'll, we'll do. Uh, and there's more narration from Odin's perspective saying, you know, Roger said something to his oldest confidant, Ra- Raleigh, the man they called Dark King. He said something to him. God damn it. And probably one of my favorite details in this is the narration says he stepped off the ship. He had a whole bundle of medicine from the ship, Dr. Crocus. His disease was in his final stages, but this was a man's farewell. We were utterly stoic. Not a tear was shed for the crew of the King of the Pirates would never, ever cry. And everyone is just bawling as they bid farewell to Roger. And I love that, you know, Owen's like, no, no, we didn't cry. We were all big, tough, manly men. <laughs> I, I do love it. it. It's like twice where he does this. Like, it was a man's farewell. Yeah, does the exact same no, thing. <laughs> no tears were shed as everyone's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> And of course, then they've got to you know, drop him off at Wano. And he's like, it's not as though I'm dying. So, of course, we parted with a smile, knowing we'd all meet again one day. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to see each other again. 
Odin reunites with uh, Toki and his children. Uh, and of course, Momonosuke has you know, gotten all big and he's basically acting much more like Momonosuke as we know him now, trying to act like he's big and proper and stuff. Uh, and so he's like, yes, father. He's like, oh, you've learned proper manners. And then Keenum on the other show up. Hey, welcome back, scoundrel. <laughs> hey, what's up, fuckhead? Dick hey, basket. Welcome back, dick. Hey, welcome back, you big bucket of shit. <laughs> of course, like, oh, it makes perfect sense. The last time he saw them, he was just like, peace out, assholes. <laughs> Didn't say goodbye properly. Um, but they catch him up on what uh, Toki in particular has been up to because you know, Odin is greeted as basically a hero, largely because of what Toki has been doing to help uh, all the people of Wano uh, out. Oops. Uh, Nick, you might want to check your audio. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, then uh, they have that little moment, and they're like, by the way, uh, bad stuff's been happening too. <laughs> Uh, they say that uh, Ashura is now leading the Yakuza in Kuri, and Denjiro is wandering all over Wano, borrowing and paying back money. Hmm. Uh, but uh, Odin's like, you know, these are not the signs of a good country. You know, that you've got to keep the criminals in check. You've got to borrow money and pay it back all over the place. Uh, and they say, yeah, so here's the thing. You know, we've been doing our best to manage the country in your absence, but, you know, your dad's dead. And also Orochi was the Shogun's successor. And they finally updated him on what was actually going on while he's been away. And he's like, what the fuck? This guy said that I was like his brother. What the hell? That's not right. Right at all. I just took pity on him because he kept on asking for money. Um, and uh, they also say that, like, you know, there are all these weapons factories that have started up. Uh, Kaido is now supporting Orochi, so things are much more similar to the, as they are in the present, uh, but just in its beginning stages. But then um, they have to share the really big stuff, which is, look, you know, there was a weapons factory. There was a man who refused to work and his family were executed. And so we had enough at that point. So we took up our swords. We marched to the flower capital. But Kaido's followers stuck into Curry behind us. They infiltrated the castle threatened the life of your future heir, Momonosuke. And the enemies were driven away by Kawamatsu and Dogstorm, but Lady Toki gave up her body to block the enemy's arrows when they first struck. And so Kinemon bows his head for, you know, allowing this to happen. But uh, Odin just goes over to Toki and he's like, Yo, show me your wound. And she shows that she's got this really nasty scar in her thigh. And he's, you know, says like, you did a good job, you know, protecting our son. But she says, listen, don't get angry over something so trivial. And Owen's like, trivial. Toki, you haven't heard the stories about my past. I see how now how Orochi does things. Stay here and protect my family. Protect Curry. And so he just immediately rushes off to Orochi to confront him. Uh, just goes dashing through the woods and the streets straight towards the palace. And you know, he's reflecting on how he's allowed this to happen in his absence. Allowed Orochi to t transform the country into this state. Uh, the soldiers are reacting to word of his approach and the people are like, yay, Lord Odin's back. And he storms through the guards, goes up the steps, goes into the palace. And Orochi is just like, ah, he apparently did not receive warning, I guess, that this was co coming towards him. And Odin gets there and he's like, I'm coming for you. 
And so everyone's like, Orochi, flee, my lord. And he's like, wait, think carefully. Kaido will do something if you attack me. Think about what will happen to the country. And everyone's like, I'll think about it after I've cut you in two. And the chapter ends with Orochi being like, oh, right, this guy's crazy. And that's it. So It's a cool chapter. Um, cool. I think... I think we're going to get two chapters left of this flashback. I this think did next, move things very quickly. So I think next chapter is where we're going to see how Odin dies. And then the chapter after that is going to lead us back into the present where a big moment is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to get like the big cool moment. So I'm pretty excited. Do you think that we're going to have a big thing about who killed Odin specifically? Like the person directly responsible for his death? And do you think it's going to be someone like not Kaido? Like I, I think it's going to be Kaido. Uh, mm-hmm. It might. The only thing that might be is it might be Orochi himself, because there seemed to be some hint that Orochi might actually have a double fruit. Well, he just got the he's got the Hydra dragon thing. Yeah, so, so maybe he has it now, and that's how he mm-hmm. surprises Odin. But I, I think the more likely thing is they probably it's probably going to be Kaido. I guess we'll find out soon. So that was a cool chapter. Uh, It was nice to see this much more serious side to Odin after he went on silly adventures for so long to see like, oh, yeah, this guy does care about people. It's just that normally he doesn't show it very directly, but piss him off hurt the people he loves and he'll fucking kill you without thinking about the consequences. So. All right, so that's going to do it for the manga recap. Before we get into announcing our favorites for this week, I do have to uh, make up for not saying it last time what our recommendation we're taking is. We're going to take a very often requested series, Mob Psycho 100. So Okay, I'll finally learn what that is. <laughs> it's uh, We're a little bit late getting onto that train. <laughs> so we're going to be doing that. Chris, what was your favorite chapter this week? Who was your MVP? Uh, favorite series this week was Boruto. I think Boruto finally had like a standout, amazing chapter. It was my favorite one to read this week. So I'm going to give it there. Um, my MVP this week is going to be Senku. I really, really enjoyed Senku and Mm -hmm. I thought he really stood out in this chapter. I I just, I like seeing his mind at work. Mm. I like the, uh, the, I don't know if you read the author comments when they come out, but the author comments were great because, uh, Inagaki was like, so I checked everything with my, uh, science consultant friend and they were like, uh, hey. turns out petrification beams don't work. Well, no, they were like, <laughs> they were like, uh, Sen- the math Senku is doing is what is, uh, what is generally used on like exams in universities mm-hmm. and Senku just did yeah. it in his head and it's like, yeah, it's pretty dope. <laughs> no, like, I, I mean, yeah, I have had to do, uh, shit like that in like, you know, fit in like AP physics and stuff. You know, if you throw it at this speed, how far, how far will it take to reach its apex and come down that kind of thing? Uh, it's pretty crazy. Yes. And he did it within seconds. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Um, I'm going to echo your sentiment on Boruto. I thought it was a really good chapter. Like it's the only chapter I, I read this week where it's like, like beginning to end. This was really good. Mm. So, uh, but there were definitely some good parts here and there of other stories. Uh, MVP, I'm going to give it to Odin. I know that he's been a pretty popular pick lately for us, but I liked not just him, you know, taking action and, and, uh, storming Orochi's palace and stuff like that. But I love the, the humor of his narration in the lighter moments and stuff, especially that line of like, not a single tear was shed because the crew of gold would never, ever cry. (laughs) We're too dope for that. Um, 
<laughs> they were two manly men. So that's going to do it. Yep. Thank you everyone uh, for well, tuning real in. Well, quick, I'll just mention the audience picked Sink. It was a it, it was a tie. Senku and Quan Quan Z uh, were the MVPs, and Act Age was the chapter of the week. Because <laughs> like I'm gonna have to get used to saying that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to get used to being like, I guess they liked it. I guess they liked it. <laughs> Uh, that Can't is gonna just do it for- give it to Boruto one week, you fucks. <laughs> it's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the show. We tend to record here on twitch.tv slash RoloT Wednesdays between 7.30 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, weekly, at WMR Podcast, at RoloT, at Nick F. Time to find out if we need to tweak the uh, schedule and stuff. Find out whatever GIF uh, Chris sends out whenever we start recording the show. You're going to check out our past episodes on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a comment, leave a rating. Help us to ascend to the top of the hobby section and overthrow the woodworkers. Join our Discord server to ask us questions, send us feedback, follow along with the recommendations and everything like that. There are all sorts of different stuff that is on there. And uh, Ninja X3i maintains our list of recommended series and the supplemental rewards and stuff and conducts uh, at WMR polls, uh, at WMR votes rather on Twitter uh, for uh, voting on favorite uh, things to happen throughout the year. Special thanks go out to the people who will make the show what it is. Steve Manor, tire card artist, infamous planner for making the frame for the uh, visual version of the stream. Milo Jack Stillitz and Winston Dale Trader for making the uh, opening sequence for us. Yes. And that's going to do it. All right. That's going to do it, everybody. I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. And I don't have a send off. Nick, give me one. Um, Stay real, Cincinnati. Stay real, queef bags. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>